Today on Behind the Headlines, we are talking baseball. Our Tigers beat writer Evan Woodbury stops by to talk about a big announcement that's happening tonight at Comerica Park. As I said, a baseball-themed episode and the second time that Evan Woodbury will be on the podcast. And my co-host, as always, the one and only Vice President of Content for MLive, John Heiner. John, let's play ball, man. Amen, brother. I can say without a hint of hyperbole and with, with no equivocation that I'm as happy right now as I've ever been in my life. When you sent me what we were talking about, it's hard not to be, right? It's hard <laughs> not to be super excited about this. Right. So how many, how long have we been doing this? This podcast? Yeah. Just over a year. I mean, we started Definitely. shortly after COVID, so. Okay. How many times have we used the word normal or return to normal, the phrase return to normal? I think we're on episode 50, so I would, let's <laughs> multiply by 10. Let's go with 500 <laughs> as a round number. Well, this today, June 8th, uh, 2021, I don't know when you're listening to this, folks, but uh, it's kind of a, a data circle on the calendar, and our guest today is Evan Woodbury, the um, beat writer for MLive who covers the Detroit Tigers. The guy's been through a lot. And uh, Evan, maybe you could tell our listeners why this is kind of an important day, and really a signal in Michigan, um, and not just for the sake of summer coming, but for all we've been through, uh, why what this might be a milestone. Yeah, well, it's funny because the first and only other time I've done this podcast was roughly a year ago when it was, or I guess probably at 11 months ago when it was opening day of 2020 uh, for baseball season. This is kind of like, like opening day 3.0 because the first one was opening day last year with no fans in the seats. The second one was opening day this year with a, a limited capacity in virtually every stadium in America. And today is kind of the third version where it's opening day with uh, anyone that, that wants a ticket can go get a ticket. There are no restrictions. It's full capacity allowed. And really, it's about as, as close to normal, if you want to call it that, as, as we've been since uh, this whole thing started. So it'll be, you know, I don't know. It's not going to be a sellout crowd by any means tonight, but it's going to be more than 8,000 people for the first time in, in almost two years, which is pretty incredible to say. So it's uh, it'll be a lot more like a summer night of baseball at Comerica Park than it's than it's ever been since uh since this thing got started yeah it's fantastic and you know baseball represents so many things it's, it's the opening day is like oh boy summer is actually going to happen at some point in Michigan and I've been and I think a lot of people have been like castaways on an island to look for you know smoke signals on the horizon that we could maybe get rescued someday and you know in recent weeks uh that some of the restrictions have been lifted. You see signs in stores that say, if you're you know, vaccinated, you don't have to wear your mask. And people are kind of slowly coming back into the realm of the normal. But I've got to say, like knowing that you can go to Tiger Stadium, excuse me, Comerica Park, and uh, you know, buy your peanuts and, and pick your seat and, and just mill around without being self-conscious is really a great sign. Yeah, and hopefully it coincides with some nice weather too because it was kind of a, a tease when we – got into Memorial Day weekend and it was like 45 degrees that one uh, one uh, Friday night, I think it was, as we we're going into Memorial Day weekend. And it was just before they were increasing the capacity at Comerica Park. And it felt like this is this is a cruel joke here that, that summer and uh, normalcy are never really going to arrive. But, you know, here we are a week later. It looks like we should have summer like weather and it will be uh, full capacity from here on out through the rest of the year. So what is the it, it Tigers, feels good. It feels normal. What is the Tigers organization uh, signaling or saying about this return and the fans coming back? And 
are they doing anything special or promotional or, or to observe it? Well, I'd kind of hoped and thought that they might do some sort of opening day 2.0, which is what some other teams are doing. But the, the timing is not great because this is a weeknight game, which is traditionally doesn't draw well. Uh, and it's not a marquee opponent. It's the Seattle Mariners, which which are fine. I mean, but it's not, you know, the Yankees or something. It's actually it, it's funny because that Memorial Day weekend was the Yankees and it was a holiday weekend. And if it had been normal times, it probably would have been a, a great crowd for that. If I recall, uh, the Tigers kick off this summer. Yeah, and the Tigers actually played really well, too, which would have been a, a doubly a, a nice combination. But so I, I think they're kind of setting expectations low because it is a weeknight game. They don't have any promotion scheduled like a giveaway or anything like that. They're fireworks, uh, which they usually save for weekends. And it's not, you know, a, a big name type opponent. Uh, I am gonna I think... correct, I'm, I'm going to correct you, Evan. There is a giveaway. Is there really? Yes, from what I understand. If you go across the street from the stadium, they're setting up uh, booths for vac vaccinating people. And if you get a free vaccine, you also get two tickets to the game. That's right. You're absolutely right. So that free vaccine, free tickets. Those are two giveaways. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know if we can get the podcast up in time for people to hear that, but it's actually a pretty good deal. And anyone on the fence or was going to get around to it, you might as well go to a ball game. Uh, I don't think having a vaccine can prevent you from drinking a beer or two. So um, I think you'd be all set. Um, what about you, Evan, and what it's been like for you and what this signals in terms of changes in your work environment now, if any, or are restrictions going to be, uh, they're going to be a little slower to lift those restrictions in the workplace? Well, when uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago, I suppose it was, we, we no longer had to wear masks in the in the press box in the stadium. So that was a, a small change. What's happening today, this afternoon, before the game for the first time, we'll be allowed to mill around on the field like we normally would. We can do interviews on the field uh, as long as they're scheduled in advance. So it's not like the, the clubhouse access of the old days where it was a little bit more informal, but you're actually being able to interact with someone in, in real life, literally for the first time uh, since 2019. And I mean, it is strange because you think of the roster turnover that happens naturally on any baseball team. And so many of, of the players that are on this year's team that you've literally never met in person or, or interacted with in person in any, any kind of way, which is especially for baseball is so unusual where you're usually getting to see them. You know, if anything, you're seeing them too much. You're, you're sick of each other by the end of the year. Uh, there are some players that, that literally, uh, I've never met AJ Hinch, you know, really all of us have literally never interacted with him in person, which is incredible to say for, you know, the hours and hours, uh, that we've spent talking to him since, since the beginning of the season. Uh, so little things like that, that are, that are going to be different. Uh, it's still not 100% the way it was before. And frankly, it may not get that way until 2022, but, uh, this is another another step today, just being on the field and, and doing some in-person stuff for the first time. Yeah, I was going to say, like, when do you foresee that day when you're actually sitting in the manager's office, you know, like they used to do with Jim Leland and, and Sparky Anderson, and, you know, he dressed down some reporter because he didn't like what they wrote and all that. But when do you, when do you see yourself getting back in the clubhouse, you know, are any are any teams in the league doing anything like that up to this point no uh and i you know it's going to be complicated because although virtually every team or the majority of teams now have virtually everyone vaccinated uh for the reporters if you want to be get on field access you have to show proof of vaccination so really what we're talking about is 
interacting between vaccinated individuals, uh, but still there's a pretty strict testing regimen in Major League Baseball, and I think they're they're afraid of those breakthrough cases because even if you know if it's everyone is well intentioned, if there's some just you know if you've got a breakthrough case and someone tests positive and then someone else tests positive. You know, if you're a team that's trying to make the playoffs and you lose two good players for for two weeks while they're sitting out mm-hmm. asymptomatic due to COVID, uh, even if no, you know, even if there's no health implications, that's still, you know, the, the, they're still being really cautious about that because that can, you know, if, if you do test positive, you're you're sidelined for the next couple of weeks, and and that can be a pretty big deal. I know it's hard so, to believe that anyone would get complacent about COVID after what we've been through, but I have to tell you. And, and Eric, you probably saw this too because you follow sports. I was stunned this weekend when John Rahm, who was leading this the Memorial Tournament PGA by six strokes, he walks off the 18th green. They don't wait till he gets to the clubhouse. They meet him, right, of course, right in front of the cameras that make good TV, and said, "Hey, you tested positive for COVID. You're out of the tournament." And it just was a reminder. Like oh, I was like, it, the stunning part to me was, wait a minute, he's he just lost like $2 million. All he needed was a vaccine. You know, (laughs) it's a reminder that not everyone's going to get vaccinated and that we shouldn't take things for granted. Right. Right. And I think, you know, the other thing is just, they're going to, they had a series of standards that they set out at the beginning of the year that everyone understands and everyone's following. And I think those will probably be changed going into 2022, uh, but they're going to keep it consistent for most of 2021. And the other, the, ba- the other complication for baseball, and this is probably too much inside baseball, is that so much of the access is predicated by the collective bargaining agreement, which expires at the end of this season. So that's going to be a, a point of debate going into 2022. So I think a lot. that's why a lot of this is just going to be put on the back burner until next season. Uh, and we're just going to have to take what we can get for the rest of this summer. There's nothing to insider baseball um, <laughs> behind the headline. <laughs> Eric, you, you're, like I said, Eric, you you follow sports and you're pretty tuned in what what is happening across the spectrum of professional sports with covid covid testing dqs i mean are different sports handling it different or does there seem to be some uniformity i i think you know it's interesting i had this conversation last night because i've i've been fascinated to watch when you saw if we go all the way back to april of last year when you saw the ufc go to yaz island and get out of the country Mm -hmm. to just continue to to do their sport and just how one by one you would see that if we did this quarantine, maybe we could do this and the NBA would follow suit and you're seeing those sort of discussions continue through the year. And then we get to, like you said this weekend where you don't get a vaccine and you're out $2 million. And so it's like, they're always going to be these outliers in these sports, no matter what the COVID protocols are that will either slip through or throw a monkey in, you know, into the works unintentionally or otherwise to cause your golf tournament or your playoff baseball game to kind of be turned upside down. And I think to Evan's point, like we still have to be vigilant as we're opening these these things up, because if they're out for two weeks, that can be the difference between playoffs or no playoffs. And in a year like this, and Evan, I'd love your take. It's still going to be kind of a wonky sports year for all of these leagues, which means it's kind of a jump ball for, teams that get into the playoffs which is going to be exciting for sports fans yeah I mean it's not going to be as weird as as last year where you had the 60 game season where I mean even you even the Tigers were in it until roughly the you know the last third of the season or so just because everybody was in it 
And it was the type of year where the kind of, you know, just a, a week long hot streak or a week long slump, which happens so regularly in baseball could be the difference between, you know, being a first place team and being a last place team. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more normal this year, but I think you're still seeing where, you know, especially at the beginning of the year when there was a flurry of positives, sometimes baseball would cancel games and, and reschedule for later. Other times baseball would say, okay, let's play through. And there was a lot of, you know, debate about, okay, this is a competitive issue. What is what is the standard here? And, and I think that the good news, at least, is is the positives have gone down as vaccinations have increased. We haven't had the flurry of cancellations like we saw last year. I mean, even the Tigers, although the Tigers were largely unscathed by COVID a year ago, they had a lot of games canceled by, by virtue of opponents having outbreaks. Uh, and it ultimately had to do a lot of makeup games and even didn't play a 60-game schedule. This year has been a lot more normal in that sense. And let's hope, knock on wood, especially as we get into the summer, cases continue to fall, vaccinations continue to go up, uh, that it's going to be less of an issue and, and that there's nothing new cropping up as the weather starts to get cool in, in October when the, when the playoffs begin again. Evan, I've heard of some players going out, being sidelined, but has some games been canceled this year? Really? Just, I think it was the first week or two of the season. Uh, I believe it was, was it the Phillies? There was, there was a, a flurry of maybe two or three uh, a series canceled, uh, but that was about it. And in fact, the Tigers played at Houston in the first or second week of the season, and the Astros had a number of players that tested positive or had to be sidelined due to uh, contact tracing. And those games played on, the Astros just had to call up a bunch of new players. So there's really been only one or two or three real outbreaks, and there's only been one instance where there was widespread cancellation. So it's been, in that sense, it's been nothing like like last year, which is good. Mm-hmm. What do you look forward to the most when we talk about normal? Think of what you were doing two or three years ago in your job that you really took for granted. What what do you look forward to? Well, it is when you watch highlights and really we're not talking about old highlights. We're talking about highlights from just two or three or four years ago. Uh, just the, the fan reaction and, and hearing the crowd engagement that you we really haven't had for a long time. Uh, it's, it's kind of a cool thing, especially when we're talking about meaningful games. And that's another thing. It's the Tigers have not only had COVID, they've also had about three or four years where they haven't played a whole lot of meaningful games where, you know, the crowd is riding on every pitch. But if you see highlights from 2014, 15 and 16, when the Tigers were regularly challenging for the playoffs and playing big games, uh, and you, you just see the crowd atmosphere. Uh, it seems like, a it seems like another era. It seems like it seems so long ago that you can hardly remember it. So I think that will be cool to get back to that. Uh, and obviously it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but I think, you know, just to have a, a big summer weekend, maybe it's the 4th of July weekend, maybe it's, you know, some promotion, maybe it's fireworks where you got a crowd of 30, 35,000, uh, and a good game going on. That will be fun to get back to because it's, it's been a while since we've seen that. Talk about taking things for granted. I, I remember complaining about Brad Osmussen, you know, losing in the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember a Detroit team that made the playoffs in any sport. So it's it's been a dry spell. But to your point, getting some energy back in the stadium would be great. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLI podcast. I'm John Heiner with my co-host, Eric Hulkren. And our guest today is Evan Woodbury, beat writer for MLI for the Detroit Tigers. And we're on a red letter day because the Tigers are opening up to full capacity again, ticket sales. Um, uh, we have a sports uh, manager this morning who made a quip, jo- you know, Josh Lochter. And uh, 
Josh said the capacity has been 8,000. So today they're expecting 8,001 um, for, for the game, uh, but we'll see. And, and I really think that that goes to the next topic I want to talk about, uh, which is reintroduce the team to those who kind of checked out over the pandemic, haven't been able to come to games, haven't maybe, maybe been following the Tigers because they're not that competitive, but what's the product on the field, Evan? Um, your assessment of that, you've written some stories this week, which I'll link to in my column you know, about uh, Jacoby Jones and some of the other players and what that represents where the Tigers may be headed. But what, what, what are the Tigers in 2021 and where are they on their arc to rebuilding? Well, I think the good news is that they're playing a lot better. There, there was a point in at the end of April where not only they were losing, but they were losing really ugly. And, and it looked like this was on the way, not just to being a bad season, but potentially a historically bad season like the Tigers have had a couple in, in recent years. Uh, so that would have been really bad news. The good news is that May not only went better, but even when the Tigers have lost, they've lost competitively. They're just playing better baseball and, and uh, in pretty much every, every aspect of the game. Uh, you know, still, this is going to be a losing season. There's no doubt about it. And it, it could even be a bad season when, it all, said is, when all is said and done. Uh, but it's not going to be a historically bad season like it looked like it was going down that path. And I think the good news is that some of the younger players that debuted last year that maybe got their feet wet but didn't really look like they belonged in the big leagues are now looking like they belong in the big leagues. And, and the two big ones, and probably the two of the biggest pieces as far as the Tigers' future success, both short-term and long-term, uh, Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal, the two young starting pitchers, mm -hmm. have both been – very good at times, have been excellent at times, uh, have at least shown that as of right now, they're very capable big league starting pitchers and have shown that maybe they have the potential to be elite starting pitchers and maybe sooner than, uh, than people had hoped after last year. So I think, you know, there are some positive signs, but there are also, like you mentioned, Jacoby Jones, there are some players that are kind of aging out of or have aged out of prospect territory and the Tigers are going to have to make some decisions on who they're going to move on from and, and who they're going to keep. And, uh, you know, with the hope that next year uh, is a little bit brighter. And if they're not talking about playoff contention, they're at least a lot closer than they are right now. Well, opening day lineup, you know, and I've been a Tiger fan my whole life, but you had the one guy who's making $29 million a year uh, batting fourth and not doing great, but the rest look like utility players to, you know, to the <laughs> untrained eye. A couple of them have, you know, is Eric Haas for real or is he just having – you know, Chris Shelton-like um, period where he's, he's hitting homers. You know, Candelario, um, Castro looks like he can hit because he a, is he a long-term big leaguer. I mean, how much different is this team going to be when they are competitive, say, two, three years from now? Um, are any of those pieces going to be, be around? Well, I think a lot of it's going to – how quickly they're competitive depends on how much they're going to spend and, and when they're going to spend it. You know, pre-pandemic, we had all kind of circled – this winter, this season, as the one in which they'd open up the checkbooks. And maybe it wouldn't be like the old days when they were spending, you know, top five payroll in the league, but it would at least it'd be top 10, top 15, the upper half of the league. And they're not even close to that right now. Uh, and they really didn't spend a lot this winter. And, and part of that is pandemic. Part of that is I think they probably didn't think they were close enough to, to contention to justify the expense. Uh, but I think a lot of people are going to be looking at, to next this coming winter and see how aggressive they are in the free agent market. I mean, you take a, just to choose one position, for example, Willie Castro, 
they wanted to see if he was going to be the shortstop of the future. Well, he's kind of flunked out of that. He's moved to second place, second base where he's playing regularly uh, and will even hit enough to play second base. That Those things are still up for debate. Nico Goodrum is a fine you know, utility option. Maybe in a pinch is, a, is an everyday shortstop, but he's not really a guy that you're going to build around and may not even be in the picture when we're talking about next year. So they've got a big vacancy at shortstop in one of the most important positions on the field. There are a ton of free agent shortstops coming on the market this winter, and there are even going to be some more that are available via trade. So what are the Tigers going to do? Are they going to spend or are they going to sit on the sidelines? And I think that that will go a long way to, to showing how quickly they they intend on contending, because if they spend this winter, I mean, they could contend next season. Uh, if they treat this winter like they did the, the previous winter, then yeah, you are talking a good two or three years until until Riley Green is ready to be a big time contributor or, or Spencer Torkelson or some of the other guys in, in the minor league system. So I, I think it's a wait and see approach and, and uh, you know, see how much money, how much uh, Christopher Illich wants to open up the paycheck, the uh, checkbook this winter. Well, I'm going to dedicate the next section here to uh, my man, Marcus. He works at a grocery store in the town I live in. And, uh, and Eric knows I like a good conspiracy theory. So you we're going to sure do. We're going to veer off here, but every time I go shopping, he sidles up to me and he whispers things like, you know, Verlander is going to finish his career in Detroit. All right. Aaron Judge, watch, he's coming to Detroit. <laughs> things like that, right? His big one, though, is, is Theo Epstein and the future of Al Avila. And I'm, I'm just putting you probably in, in a spot you don't want to be in, but is there is Al Avila safe and is, is he part of the, like, is that the kind of guy that's going to build the, the, the World Series champion? Well, I mean, I, I don't. When you're talking about long term, I'm not sure how old Alaviela is, but he's he's you know somewhere between 60 and 65. I'd have to Google it to know exactly where. So, I mean, you know, he, he may not be the GM for the next 10 years, uh, but I, I think there's been no indication, at least as of yet, that that Christopher Lich is ready to move in a different direction. Uh, whether he gets to see the end of this rebuilding, uh, well, that remains to be seen. I, I think. The quicker it comes to a conclusion, uh, the, the better the chances of that. The, the issue for me, I think, more than anything is if, you know, if you've got the budget that they had this year going to this year, which is bottom five teams in MLB or, or pretty close to it, and you've got $30 million or literally more than one third of your payroll dedicated to a non-productive DH in Miguel Cabrera, uh, it doesn't matter who the GM is going to be. You're going to really struggle to contend. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, money is not the only factor, but I, I think a lot of the vitriol that's been directed at Alavila should probably be more at ownership uh, just because, you know, at a certain point, you know, that the, you can only move so many pieces around and, and you're going to need to, to go outside to, to fill in the gaps. And they haven't really been able to, to spend a whole lot of money to fill in the gaps well, uh, in the last few years. The elder, Mr. Illich, uh, RIP, um, God rest his soul, he spent a lot, a lot of money at the end there, you know, 2012, 13, 14. I mean, he was really, really trying to win the World Series. And you look at some of the names that came through, David Price and, and Max Scherzer and Porcello, and um, they they were uh, Prince Fielder, that whole era. Uh, the, the amount of money that, that, that was being spent, and I think, you touched on Cabrera and, and if you would please just expound on that a little bit. I think when you get it into June towards July and you're batting 180, um, that might not be an anomaly. Um, you saw what happened with Pujols at the end of his career. 
but they're on the hook for what two more years um yeah Cabrera what just you know fans probably are interested from your professionalist perspective how does this end yeah I I you know and I wrote about that earlier this year when when Pujols was released I I think Miggy can play to the finish line with the Tigers if Miggy is realistic about his abilities and and the way he can contribute to the team and I think Albert Pujols could have played to the finish line with the Angels if he had been willing to be a you know a pinch hitter part-time DH bench player elder statesman type role Uh, but he was still under the he he wanted to be an everyday player and that just was not going to happen at some point that will happen with with Miggy and the Tigers and I think if Miggy is realistic about where he is in his career uh, and is willing to accept something less than an everyday role I think they can accommodate him and I think you know for even if Miggy is really struggling I think the 26th guy on a 26-man roster if you can give it to a future Hall, Hall of Famer who the fans love and and is a ambassador for the team and isn't isn't griping every day to the manager about not playing then I, I think you do that but if if he is you know discontented with his role or, or doesn't want to continue in that role then no I, I don't think it can go to the finish line so that'll be interesting to see it play out and how you know that kind of diplomacy works on both sides I mean realistically he's not doing very well right now but there's not a ton of urgency just because the Tigers are not overflowing sure. with with better options sure and they're not playing you know meaningful games where, where every every game decides a, a playoff spot so it, it, there's not a real sense of urgency to the issue now. There may not be next year, but there may be in 2023. And if that coincides with Miggy's continued decline, then it could reach a, a tipping point. And I think that'll be, we'll have to see how that plays out. But I, I'm very much in the camp that if Miggy wants to keep playing in some capacity and the, tig- the Tigers can find a place for him on the roster, it's just going to have to be in a, a less than full-time role, uh, you know, where, where they can get some more productive bats in the lineup. Yeah. If you, like me, um, occasionally just check in the highlights during the week. And you, he'll, like, he'll barrel a ball up. It'll still go like 440 feet, right? <laughs> but he also, if you check box scores every day, he's got a lot of offers. And, um, I, yeah, but to your point, it's not like they're playing, they're not in contention. And, you know, the fans like him and they sell jerseys and they're paying him a lot of money. And if he's, is, is he a good force in the clubhouse? Yeah, oh, and – to, to your first point, I still think he's a great hitter. I just think that as he gets older and slower and, you know, the game has changed and evolved in a way that's not real conducive to his style of hitting, I think it's hurt him quite a bit. And I compare it to Victor Martinez, who was a beautiful, pure hitter mm-hmm. until the very end. But the way the game had evolved, uh, it took so many of his singles away. The he got slower, so it turned so many of his doubles yeah. in, into singles. And he lost a bit of power, so a lot of his home runs turned into doubles, which turned into singles because he was so slow. And you're seeing kind of a similar evolution with Miggy where he's getting robbed of a lot of things that might have been hits 10 years ago that are no longer hits today. I still think he's a, a great hitter. It's just what, you know, the rest of the body doesn't always cooperate when you're, when you're approaching 40 years old. And, you know, although we haven't been in, in the clubhouse in a long time, and so it's tough to talk about the nuances, I, I really got the sense when we talked to Miggy in, in spring training that he was embracing kind of his veteran role, and, and he was maybe a little more reflective about about his status and, and what it meant for the younger players to be around him than he had been in the past, uh, where, you know, he kind of realizes he's just not a regular player and he's just not a superstar, that he's 
kind of a you know a, an icon at, at the very back end of his career, and and with that comes certain responsibilities or or certain prestige that doesn't exist when you're just a, a star who's 30 years old. So I think he gets that, and and I think he, I hope, and I think he can continue to kind of be a positive presence rather than a negative one as, as his career winds down. Mm-hmm. I will say from a fan perspective, it's kind of fun when he does get a hit, you know, I go, I go on baseball reference and I say, Oh, look, he passed, you know, Wahoo Crawford. <laughs> he's, he's number 38 on the list now, you know, he he's in that point in his career, where, like with Bulls, like every Homer or RBI or, or hit, he he's moving up these lists. He's clearly a hall of famer. There's no question. Uh, and you know, perhaps he's gonna he's gonna get to three thousand hits at some point if he can if he can stay healthy. But it, that's kind of fun from a fan perspective. Yeah, it is. And you know, every it seems like after every hit, they they grab the ball, and you have to, like you said, you have to race and go see. Okay, what who did he pass? What did he break? Or you know, was it on the hits list or the doubles list or the RBI list? Or why why are they grabbing the ball this time? But it does. He's he is at the point in his career where just about every everything he does is is a milestone of some sort yeah it it was it was really all things considered great to have him spend so much of his career in Detroit and do the things he did but you know the last thing I want to touch on is not really uh, well it does concern the Tigers I don't know to what degree but it's a pretty big growing scandal in baseball right now about um, sticky baseballs spin rates on baseballs um there I there are if you go on YouTube you can find highlight videos that look like wiffle ball pitchers, uh, the way the balls are moving. Um, you know, guys still hit the ball, but it, it apparently now is getting a lot of attention in the league. They're, they're stepping up enforcement. What do you see happening with that? And will it happen during the season? Or is this a sort of an off season thing when the owners, you know, go down to Florida and talk about it? I, I think in the very near future, there's going to be a pretty, pretty tight crackdown. And I think it's going to be, especially the players that were pretty blatant about it, that aren't just using maybe a, 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 you know, a little bit of pine tar or a little bit of sunscreen, the players that actually have their own like home brewed concoctions. And I, I think it's going to be a lot tougher for them uh, throughout the rest of the season. And because of that, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. You know, the question is, okay, are we going to see a massive drop off in strikeouts? Are we going to see a massive drop off in spin rate, which is why most of the pitchers use use it is to add it add spin to their pitches. Uh, and if that happens, you know, maybe there's another piece of the puzzle as far as the decline in offense, the increase in strikeouts. I mean, people have put forth all sorts of theories and every one of them is correct in its own way, whether we're talking about the shift, whether we're talking about the launch angle of swings, whether we're talking about the velocity of pitchers, but maybe spin rate and, you know, the substance that pitchers are using that many pitchers are using at all, uh, maybe that's a part of the, the equation too. And, and, you know, that's why I'm kind of curious to see what happens if there's, you know, a, a prominent pitcher or two whose strikeout rate suddenly goes down and it coincides with this, mm-hmm. this crackdown, there's going to be all sorts of, uh, eyebrows raised, especially if one of those prominent pitchers just signed a $200 million yeah. contract or something <laughs> like that. So I, I, I think it'll be, it'll be a very interesting summer. Uh, and you know, and maybe it'll be a dud, maybe nothing will happen or maybe only one or two pitchers will, will be affected. Um, but you know, I, I'll be curious if, if there's a league wide decrease in strikeouts, you know, this may have been an important piece of the puzzle of trying to, to balance out the, the offense and, and try to get the offense back on track to where it's not at a, a historically low level. Yeah. Going into the weeds, reading up on some of the pitchers and the averages that teams have had, their spin rates have gone up 
you know, the Dodgers has gone up 7%, which is just astronomical, you know, and I guess maybe it's, you know, the weather out in California, it's dry. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, and then Trevor Bauer, who was a big critic of, of people's pitchers who were using this to their advantage, his spin rate went up like 10% um, yeah. this year. So it's, that just seems physically out of the realm. But one thing over time we've learned is from Gaylord Perry on is if they take away the pine tire, they're going to figure out something else, you know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's, this it. is, you know, I think it's AJ Hinch said something like that. You're, you're always, it's uh, maybe it wasn't AJ Hinch, but someone said, you, you know, baseball, you're always going to get what you incentivize. And if in, in this case, baseball kind of said, okay, you know, it's the balls can be tough to grip. So you can use a little bit of substance and we're going to look the other way and we're not going to make a big deal out of it. Well, a lot of a lot of pitchers and pitching coaches took that little loophole and they, you know, drove a tractor through it and uh, said, OK, now we've got like our chemists working on what kind of substance we can we can put on baseballs to see what we how we can maximize our spin rate. And we can work during the offseason to see how which substance we can use to maximize the spin rate more. Uh, and I mean, that's always when the incentive to win is so high, you're always going to have that happen. And so you know, they may close this loophole and, and another one that we don't even realize may be popping up as we speak. Well, Evan, it's been great having you today. Um, I look forward to, to being out at the ballpark, which I will be soon, um, hopefully this week. And um, haven't been in the same room with you in a long time. I think last summer in May, I was, I was out at a game. So uh, last, let's uh, take, let's say a little guessing game here. Uh, over or under on, on the crowd that will be there tonight. Uh, Eric, you go first. 15,000. Tuesday night in, in June. I'm going to go to 15,000. Yeah. Okay. I, I was going to go 18, thinking the enthusiasm is going to sweep over the city and we're going to get up to 18. What do you think, uh, Evan? Yeah, I was going to say 15 or 16,000. Uh, it's tough to know because we don't really have a good s- sense of their season ticket base. And that's always a good True. foundation to start from. So as we get a few. Real games under our belt, we'll have a better sense of what their season ticket base is and how much it got hurt by COVID. But I, I mean, I'll go with 16,000. That's that's a good guess. For okay, me. all bets are off if it rains. But uh, otherwise, <laughs> come back around to collect. I'm going to pay you in that uh, commemorative uh, Chicago Cubs Pepsi there, Eric. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for hey. paying me for something that I already own. This is an amazing yes, gift. Yes. Thank you. Yes, yeah. always thinking of you. Evan, thank you very much for joining Behind the Headlines. And, and good luck with the rest of the season. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And there they go. Huge thanks to Evan and, of course, my co-host, as always, the one and only John Heiner. If you like what we're doing, you can like, review, and share wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Hulkerin, and this is Behind the Headlines.